David A. Price presents... folks and welcome to Marvel Noise episode 398. I'm your host Steve Raker, irritated with radiation but still here to pull this plane across the episode 400 threshold even if I have to pull it by chains with my teeth. With me for your benefit as almost always are Andrew the LA Rabbit and WWX Kevin. Stanley proudly presents me. <laughs> oh, WWX, you're always causing trouble. <laughs> Marvel Noise is the semi-monthly podcast proudly sponsored by nobody. Our scope is all things Marvel, with at least personally a particular fondness for and fascination with the Bronze Age. You can find, listen to, stream, and download episodes past and present over on marvelnoise.com and get new episode announcements, give us feedback, and see images and cover galleries on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Plus, find other fine podcasts from our mysterious benefactor, always hidden in the shadows, Derek Coward and his Deliberate Noise Network, like Indie Comic Book Noise, our sister show, where the guys, and sometimes me, talk indie comics that catch our eye. Are you back yet? <laughs> Item, the Baltimore Comic Con is fast approaching. They're a longtime friend of this podcast. The Baltimore Comic Con is so comic-centered. It's just one giant artist alley full of fantastic guests and artists. I'm totally looking forward to being there on October 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Baltimore Convention Center right in the Inner Harbor Tourist Trap Zone. There's a fantastic guest list as i said you got to check it out get tickets and see the list and get other info at baltimorecomiccon.com hope to see you in baltimore because with a kid starting college this year and another coming up through the ranks money's tight and this might be my last year i can selfishly do a trip like this but it's such a great show the list is incredible it's really the best i i'll be there All right, we have a real treat for you tonight, True Believers, because as we near episode 400, we thought it'd be fun to do one of those character publishing histories that we used to do, Herculean research and all. And with the excitement and attention surrounding the new Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law television show, we figured that Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. the She-Hulk, would be the perfect subject for such a retrospective. Because she's got over 40 years of comics behind her, including seven ongoing series, multiple team affiliations. The She-Hulk has really been around in the comics. Weirdly so, enough, Steve, I always associate her with the Fantastic Four, which I know wasn't her, maybe, I think she might have had more Avengers issues when it's all totaled up. But I don't know, that burn chunk where she after secret wars is where i put her when i give her a team creators count to memorable stories that's for sure 
All right, let's get this publishing history going, looking at her series, notable appearances, and associated creative teams. Let's go green here. The Savage She-Hulk, her first series, ran 25 issues from 1980 to 1982, with the first issue written by Stan Lee with John Buscema pencils and Chick Stone inks, but then the rest of the series was written by David A. Kraft with Mike Vosberg pencils and mostly Chick Stone and Frank Springer inks. You know, looking at this first issue, I, I realized that uh, she got a rogue makeover at some point. <laughs> what made me laugh about this first series was, and it not anything to do with anything, but when it was Vosberg on the interior and uh, Michael Golden covers. And oh, I was thinking, gosh. you know, that's going to be like the G.I. Joe book that's going to be launching pretty soon. Vosberg had a run on that, and also so did him. And I just thought, wow, I guess they kind of moseyed on over after this finished up. There were Michael Golden covers on issues 6 through 11, and Golden was a beast on covers at this time. There were some not only memorable covers here, but also over on ROM. Some of these B and C series that he really spruced up with his covers. Very memorable. All right, well, Jennifer Walters is a lawyer, right? Her father's the sheriff. Trask is an organized crime lord. And Jennifer's mother was accidentally killed by Trask's men who were trying to off the sheriff. And Wait, not that Trask. <laughs> that Trask. Now, Jen, they they didn't shoot the sheriff, but they shot his wife. Yep. Not the deputy. Now, Jen's out to prosecute Trask's operations. And Jen's childhood pal, her cousin, Bruce Banner, visits, gives her the whole, you know, Hulk origin and story and everything. And Trask's men shoot Jen in an attempted hit. Bruce then gives her a blood transfusion when the local doctor is not in his office. He like breaks in and uses the equipment, right? He's Doc Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner. Then he brings her to the hospital and splits. And that's all you see of Banner. He comes in and he does his thing, right? At the hospital, Trask's men attempt another hit and that fires her up and she transforms into the She-Hulk. But despite the title... She's not really savage. She's still Jen. Then I thought that was a smart move to keep her as her. I also wonder, I didn't buy these off the stands, but I wonder, I like Vosberg, but I wonder if people were like, whoa, look at that sweet John Buscema art, and then got to issue two and was like, hey, wait a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Vosberg too, but he's got a thing for making the eyes too close together to fit into panels when he does, like, close-ups. He'll, like, move the eye over to not be close to the gutter line, and he does it, like, every issue several times. It drives me nuts, but he is a good artist. Now, rounding out some of the supporting cast of the series are Buck Bukowski, who is the D.A., <laughs> And he's like a thorn in both Jen and the She-Hulk's side. Wears these, like, visor glasses that have no frame, but it's actually like glass over the bridge of his nose. You want to dislike him as soon as you see him, Kevin. 
And also Zapper, who's Jen's friend, who knows her secret, that she's She-Hulk, and really helps her out whenever he can. He's always had a thing for her. Trask is the big bad for the first several issues, like even equipping Sheriff Walters to fight the She-Hulk with a big weapon and makes like a She-Hulk robot, pilots a oil-stealing silver serpent that She-Hulk has to fight and stuff. The first big notable issue beyond the origin, though, is when Roy Thomas lookalike Richard Rory, in issue number seven, has a moment of good luck in Vegas and wins $1.5 million, goes to L.A., sees the She-Hulk being chased by cops, and thinks of the myth's understood man thing mm. that he were familiar with Rory from that, you know, the Gerber stuff. And then she actually meets Man-Thing in the issue eight in the next issue, and that's one of those memorable covers, Andrew, with Man-Thing and She-Hulk awesome her green against the black background you could also win a bucket of no prizes trying to figure out like she doesn't have an outfit it's always like a white torn up yeah kind of like dress (laughs) it's like it makes no sense in half these issues because you're like was she just wearing this underneath at the time maybe i guess she always wears her white outfit underneath and it's always torn in the right strategic places sure i really like the like goofy they they just stuck with it for the whole thing instead of like well let's give her a proper outfit no no we're just gonna keep the torn i thought you were gonna say win the toys r us shopping spree (laughs) they did make an out uh a marvel legends out of that outfit too oh yeah that's right Richard Rory also ends up dating Jen after he helps the She-Hulk. This is a confrontation with Iron Man over Stark's connection to Trask in issue 6, pulling her into the Marvel Universe proper. And Michael Morbius appears in issues 9 through 12 because he examines her blood and detects and helps cure a radiation poisoning illness in issue 11. And then Jen defends him in court for his acts as a vampire as Morbius in issue 12. Yeah, I don't know if that's the first guy that I would be going to see. <laughs> well, it, Zapper took some of her blood on the sly and gave it to one of his university pals who works in a lab <laughs> who gave it to his professor because it was he was, you know, shocked by the um results of the experiment and what he was seeing, so he brought it to Michael Morbius. You know, he's he's the bloodborne radiation guy in the uh, Marvel Universe, right? So it was a cool way to bring him in, actually. All unbeknownst to Jen. Issues 13 and 14 were really fun for me because writer David A. Kraft was able to return to his star god version of Spidey villain the Man-Wolf, who is the lycanthropic astronaut son of publisher J. Jonah Jameson, John Jameson. Yeah, this is pretty wild. Is he a villain, Steve, or just misunderstood? (laughs) (laughs) Depends if he's being Stargod or Man-Thing. Or Man-Wolf, I should say. These two issues also feature Hellcat and the Devil Slayer's Shadow Cloak. They're just fun, really Gerber-esque diversion-type issues. That cloak is something else. The rest of the series is pretty much villain of the month, like, that you'll never see again, like the man elephant and stuff. But 
Well, wait, he appeared one other time. Yeah, he did. All right. But <laughs> the other ones were ones you never saw before or again. <laughs> and really focused more on the personal drama that was going on in Jen's life that was all building to a head. Like, Jen decides she wants to remain the She-Hulk forever because she's more confident and uninhibited as the She-Hulk. Including, she declares and consummates her affection for Zapper, making for an odd triangle with Richard having a thing for Jen and Zapper finally getting affection returned, but it's not from Jen, it's from She-Hulk. I also like that this is where they establish that she likes to drive really fast and is a bad driver. (laughs) Yeah, it's part of that. But they keep going like she loves driving fast and that's a running thread through her various series that they can seize on. She's a free spirit for sure. Jen's father, the sheriff, also during this time falls for this gold digger woman who like distances him from his daughter and rips up letters from Jen to him and he thinks that she's not talking to him and she's just like whispering in his ear, you know, the whole time. She even sells Jen's house out from under her and convinces the sheriff to throw her out and stuff. It's pretty intense, but he eventually learns the truth about her and Richard Rory and Zapper form an alliance when the She-Hulk's in trouble and they go to the sheriff and explain everything and that the She-Hulk that you've been chasing, you know, because he was like the General Ross character, so he's been chasing the She-Hulk, but it's his daughter, and they all rally and help the She-Hulk when the series ends with issue 25, which hit at the beginning of 1982. Jen decides to stay the She-Hulk and be with Zapper, and is reunited happily with her dad, which is like a happy ending for everyone but Richard Rory. And that's even stated in the last bit of dialogue as the series concludes. Actually, it's one of the captured boxes. During that first series, the year before it ended in 1981, the She-Hulk also appeared with Spider-Man in Marvel Team-Up 107 that was written by Tom DeFalco with art by Herb Trimpey and Mike Esposito. Defending one of Jen's law clients from the Man-Killer is the task at hand. But, like, Buck Bukowski's there, Nelson and Murdoch, they referenced the, the Morbius case. It's really steeped in She-Hulk's title's lore, which really makes it like a tryout. Like, do you like these concepts? Go try them out in She-Hulk. Then after that first... That team-up book was great for that. It was always like... Yeah. I mean, obviously it's the Spider-Man book, but I always liked that it would feature just random or those characters that were in teams, but didn't have their own book type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Or it's a great way to see all that characters that you hadn't seen in a while, you know, who would never get their own book, that kind of stuff. After that first series, she Hulk had a big 1982. She appears with the thing in Marvel two and one number 88 written by her series writer, David a Kraft, with art by Alan Kupperberg and chick stone. The Thing and She-Hulk drink. She throws herself at the Thing, kissing him. There's a car chase. She-Hulk drives fast. It's crazy. And it's very unlike the She-Hulk's book had been, despite the writer being the one... Like, the Marvel team-up is so much more reflective of the She-Hulk's book with, like, her mythology thrown in and her supporting characters. But this Marvel team-up 
Marvel two in one issue, even though it's written by Kraft, has none of that at all. Pretty funny. She-Hulk would also be in Marvel's first limited series, The Contest of Champions, even picked to be on the Grandmaster's 12-character team. Written by Bill Manlo with art by Ramita Jr. and Pablo Marcos. Also that summer of 82, the memorable Avengers 221 hit the stands with that Who Will Be the Newest Avengers Pick 2 cover. <laughs> All of them, eventually. Spoiler, Kevin, the She-Hulk was chosen. She joined the Avengers, stuck around in issues written by David Michelini, Jim Shooter, Stephen Grant, and eventually Roger Stern, all the way until the Avengers left for the Secret Wars in issue 242 in 1984. That's a pretty good time. I like that they paired her up. Like, she was pretty friendly with the Wasp, but the whole time I'm like... Why doesn't Janet design, like, a proper superhero outfit for her? Yeah. She ends up with, like, a kind of boring... Either she's in her regular togs, or it's, like, a, some type of leotard or whatever. And yeah, I'm like, with, like, I leg warmers. <laughs> always has some crazy outfit. Like, she should be designing weird outfits for her. And also, I love... Uh, this is the Captain Marvel Monica Rambeau version. She's a fun character. Oh, we yeah. see Star Fox at this time joining the Avengers. Like, it's like a cool, busy, crowded group of Avengers heading up into the Secret Wars. When the Avengers... Hercules, too. Right. That's when she first meets Hercules, and he makes an impression. (laughs) When the Avengers return in issue 243, the very next issue, She-Hulk is wearing a Fantastic Four costume and has joined that team replacing the Thing, who chose to stay on Battleworld, where he can transform back into... Be- Be- I don't want to say Ben Grimm, but it's Rocky Grimm, Space Ranger. So that 12-issue Marvel Superhero Secret Wars series went from 1984 into 1985, and it was written by Jim Shooter with pencils by Mike Zeck and some by Bob Layton. And She-Hulk was one of the 19 good guys set to square off against an equal number of bad guys look I know that thing is a hot mess and I actually sort of kind of reread it skimmed it and I just I love it <laughs> I remember when it came out I remember the dumb toys I'm staring at the Mattel Baron Zemo as we do this like it, it was a pointless toy mashup thing but it's just fun like you do have to turn off your brain but what's wrong with like they just keep throwing they're on the secret thing and they keep adding new people somehow, even though they're right. way off on the middle. And it makes no sense whatsoever. But I, I just, maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's great. But for me, it's so much fun to just flip through secret wars. It also said an doom. Un- it, right, doom. Had, how cool was that? That it's like, even though there was Galactus and Magneto and all these other characters, it was really ends up being a doom story when all is said and done. Yes. I, but I thought it was, you know, for, for it, it set the bar unreasonably high for the amount of changes to the regular books that would happen in a crossover miniseries type thing. You know what I mean? There were because the changes were huge from Spider-Man's costume to She-Hulk joining the Fantastic Four and the Thing staying. Big things happened in Secret Wars. Well, it's also so goofy. Yeah, like the broken leg felt totally (laughs) like 
added in like oh no we forgot we got to break this guy's leg so <laughs> we can get back to the main series but still I, and i thought it looked pretty fl- for us for a limited series like that a lot of characters and everything i thought it had the right visual tone right. too yeah 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 not not the backgrounds weren't too lush <laughs> keep it moving Speaking of, She-Hulk would visit the Avengers later that year in 84 in issue 246, but from that point, her adventures were pretty much handled by writer-artist John Byrne over in Fantastic Four, beginning with issue 265 in 1984, all the way through issue 300 in 1987. In addition to simply or not so simply taking over for the thing in the Fantastic Four, Jen also stuck around even when the thing returned and like developed a flirtation turned romance with the Human Torch's best pal and former college roommate, White Wingfoot. I think her most memorable issue as a member of the Fantastic Four, though, is arguably issue 275 at the end of 1984 when a helicopter passenger photographer snaps candids of the She-Hulk sunbathing topless on the roof of the Baxter building and they're going to publish them. They sell them to some sleazy magazine publisher and she wants to tear the town apart to prevent the photos from being published but she keeps short of losing control because, I mean, you know, after all she's an Avenger and a member of the Fantastic Four she's a respectable member of society here and in the end they, they publish it but they color corrected it to flesh tones, which kind of eased the blow. Until it'll never come up again either. Until Johnny showed up with the magazine in his hand and green tinted sunglasses, and she chases him off the page as the issue ends. For me, just a fun addition. I always thought that, like her joyous celebration of being the muscle of the team was just a fun contrast to Ben Grimm's kind of... In his own book, he had a lot more joy, and sometimes in Fantastic Four, but he moped around a bunch as well. So I liked that she was all into being, you know, the team powerhouse and having fun and brought a different angle to the thing. Not No pun intended, I guess. And, hmm. you know, besides, she was there for all the fun, you know, the, the malice and <laughs> yeah. storyline and stuff like that and yeah and plus again i'm hopelessly biased so i don't know i remember reading these and really liking john burns artwork and storytelling oh yeah maybe he's no good like i know he has new backgrounds a lot and everything but i'm hopelessly biased and in favor of him and like i said i recognize the no background thing and some of the other criticisms but you know if you grew up with that stuff it's hard to be objective I think you'll you'll take a few less backgrounds if it comes out by the same guy all the time. There are times where he does lush um, rubble and Kirby tech and stuff like that, too. Yeah, you know, say, he really does. Yeah, his rubble is I can recognize I'm not the greatest ever, but something about his rubble is very distinctive. <laughs> and, it, and it ends up in a lot of stories. I mean, it makes sense. They're superheroes. You know, lots of stuff gets destroyed. Around this same time, in 1985, the She-Hulk was featured prominently in two of those album-sized Marvel graphic novels of the time. Number 16, The Aladdin Effect, and number 18, The Sensational She-Hulk. 
The Aladdin Effect was written by Jim Shooter and David Michelini with art by Greg LaRoque and Vinnie Coletta and featured female Avengers, the Wasp, Tigra, and She-Hulk teaming with Storm from the X-Men gathered by this powerful young girl that needs to be rescued from the AIM thugs that are holding her or whatever. It was pretty weak, actually. Number 18, though, two Marvel graphic novels later was The Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne with inker Kim DeMolder. And it really allowed Byrne to explore spotlighting her beyond the FF. It's a, she, he wove a tale where the She-Hulk and Wyatt Wingfoot are abducted by mandroids while on a date and taken into custody by S.H.I.E.L.D. to prevent her from becoming a risk on the scale of her cousin, the Hulk. But S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't know of her ability to change back into Jen because she only stays the She-Hulk by choice and she escapes her bonds that are made for a much larger person by changing into Jen and rescuing Wyatt. But then the whole thing goes to hell at a left field when these sentient radioactive cockroaches infiltrate the hell carrier and bring it down, exposing the She-Hulk to a dose of radiation that now prevents her from changing back into Jen. So there, it's permanent. Happy now? I did have this one as a kid, and I remember liking it very much and thought it was pretty intriguing. Although at the time, I thought it was actually... I didn't know it was robot Dum Dum Dugan, though, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Boo. So after her lengthy stint with the FF, that same year in 1987, She-Hulk would rejoin the Avengers in issue 278 through 297, which included the assault on Olympus versus Zeus on behalf of the injured Hercules, which was written by Roger Stern with art by John Buscema and inks by Tom Palmer. And Walt Simonson took over the writing chores with issue 291, making Doc Druid go bad and control the She-Hulk in issues 295 to 297, the shame from which causes her to resign from the team. It's unforgettable. <laughs> She'd be back, though. Hey, I love the Busema artwork before then. It was always fun. And she runs into uh, the awesome android during that run. Strangely oh, yeah. enough, I wonder what will ever happen to that character. When Captain America formed another Avengers team in 1989's Avengers issue 305, the She-Hulk came back. This was written by John Byrne. Surprise. With art by Paul Ryan and Tom Palmer. And she would stick around with the Avengers through the Acts of Vengeance and through the 1989 Summer Annuals crossover event, Atlantis Attacks, where she would be chosen as one of the hypnotized brides of Set to be sacrificed to the god. Wow, you can put that on your resume. She'd continue to pop up now and again in Avengers during this time, including 329 to 332, which was written by Larry Hama in 1991, just before the Bob Harris run, but nothing major. 
1989, though, was a big year for She-Hulk beyond her return to the Avengers and her role in Atlantis Attacks, because she was also given a two-issue prestige limited series and a new ongoing book. The two-issue limited series was She-Hulk Ceremony, written by Dwayne McDuffie with art by June Brigman. And the characterization was off from the tone that we'd come to expect from She-Hulk, but She-Hulk wants a, a kid. She feels her biological clock ticking, so she and Wyatt get back together and they get engaged. But there's this corporate executive shaman guy who threatens Wyatt's tribe and, and all of reality. It's all mystical, and there's this like clay basket that harnesses souls and stuff. But after the team-up and the whole adventure is over, the She-Hulk and Wyatt don't really feel the magic anymore, and she gives him the urn basket thing, and they part as dear friends. So writer-artist John Byrne continued developing the She-Hulk, much to our delight, in her second series, The Sensational She-Hulk, starting in 1989, which ran for 60 issues up until 1993. But it previewed first in an eight-page story in December 88 in the Marvel Comics Presents anthology title in that issue 18, the one with the Willie Lumpkin burn wraparound cover where he's delivering presents like Santa. And in this preview story, she expresses knowledge that she's in a comic. She states to Dr. Doom that like she needs to finish him off in a hurry because there's only like four pages left. Then she punches like right through Doc Doom's faceplate and says, like, DeFalco, who is Marvel's editor-in-chief at the time, isn't going to like that. I just killed him, you know. And on the last page of the eight-pager, she receives a package of comps from Marvel of her upcoming new issue number one and fully breaks the fourth wall, looking to the reader. But it's like from inside a Christmas wreath. And she's saying, how about that, kids? You just read eight pages of hype for a new comic. Oh, well. But that's the beginning of it. In the spring of 89, Sensational She-Hulk number one hits the stands with the cover gag putting the fourth wall breaking tone front and center. If you don't buy my book this time, I'm going to come to your house and rip up all your X-Men. <laughs> that's a classic one. <laughs> The fourth buy wall... this magazine or I shoot this dog. Absolutely. The fourth wall breaking and knowledge of being in a comic and even manipulating some of the variables like being able to change scenes at will and stuff like that really picks up when a second character is introduced who shares this knowledge and these traits. In issue two, Jen Law Clark, this pudgy older lady who turns out to have been the golden age hero, the blonde phantom. Oh, I thought they were going to run into Deadpool or or uh, Gwenpool. <laughs> Lots of gags, too, specifically about whoever, if it's Byrne, and later on there's a gag about uh, Jim Lee, and, like, directly, not just, not, I, not just acknowledging the comic book thing, but particular comments about particular 
artists working on the different books. The having the blonde phantom or having this wheezy character be the blonde phantom from the golden age is part of this meta gag where the She-Hulk's first few issues are supposed to like parallel the FFs. Like they have aliens in issue number two, the return of a golden age hero in issue number four and Dr. Well, not doom in issue number five in She-Hulk's case. It's Dr. Bong instead from Steve Gerber's Howard, the duck run. Love that character design, by the way. Me too. I mean, he looks like he has a big bell on his head in the ringer for the hand, but for some reason it works. And he's part of this great sea list of villains that are in these first eight issues that Byrne does. There's like the Ringmaster and the Circus of Crime, the Headmen, Mysterio, Stiltman, Zemu the Titan. Ooh, Zemu. She goes oh, to come space. Come on, Steve. He's like a B-level villain, right? He, he's, 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 he's Zemu. The first Hulk. Build your own Zemu. She goes to space and encounters him in issue six and seven, and he wants the She-Hulk to be his bride. And in those issues, too, they cross paths with the US-1 trucker dude from that short-lived, terrible US-1 series from the 80s, and Razorback, who was Marvel's other trucker character. Now they're in space, trucking the spaceways. I always liked Razorback. I think when I was a kid, I read his first appearance at the dentist's office when he dealt with (laughs) Spider-Man. Big pig. And you were saying about some of the different things that she does, uh, you know, commenting on the different artwork and artists. And in one scene, she walks across like a typical double page, like Mile High Comics back issue ad just like walks across like the middle of it with that being the background it's clever stuff and Spider-Man guest starred in issue 3 coining the shulky term oh. in passing issue 8 was a holiday issue with a detective that is Santa Claus our, our Nick St. Christopher TM and then Byrne left the She-Hulk title when he was apparently fired for not aligning what he wanted to do with the character with that ceremony book. So they bring in Brian Hitch? Well, 13 of the next 15 issues were, <laughs> were written by Steve Gerber, which was, I thought, a decent person to step in given the tone and he handles the writing chore through issue 23 and Brian Hitch is the penciler for the most part but we got to see Howard the Duck in 14 through 17 that had to happen right with Steve Gerber and with the Hitch art that's fun also with the nature of like goofing on comic book conventions and everything it seemed like Howard the Duck was a natural team up Issue 18 I thought was funny, too, because the She-Hulk encounters Dr. Bob Doom, who's the (laughs) the dentist in the Iron Mask. He's like the fifth cousin of Victor Von Doom, who's a dentist. (laughs) They're like, it's Dr. Doom. She's like, where? What? (laughs) No, no, no. The dentist. You've got a toothache. You need to see him. Well, there's a lot of Dooms out there, isn't there? Writer Simon Furman takes over writing chores with issue 24 for four issues with Death's Head, 
from Marvel UK appearing in issue 24 and She-Hulk finally meeting Hercules in issue 25. She'd been having these recurring segue dreams involving her and Hercules romantically that started in Burns' run and continued through Gerber and Hitch's run. And so it comes to a head in issue 25 and Hercules seems so great at first until he starts with like the rear smacking and the womanizing and then she just lets him have it. What a jerk that Herc. John Byrne returned to the title as writer-penciler in 1991 with issue 31 and stayed on the book right through the double-sized issue number 50 at the beginning of 1993. The cover gag of his return issue 31 has Byrne being dragged away from trying to nail a number 9 over the number 31 <laughs> issue number as if he hadn't left and this was the next issue. And also th- lots of gags about how cheesecakey everyone likes it and how they draw it and everything. Well, Burns' second run even opens with the She-Hulk waking up from a long, weird dream, right? Like, boy, oh boy, you're never going to catch me eating pizza and ice cream at 1 o'clock in the morning again. So, like, everything that happened since that last issue was could be considered part of a dream. Well, it's pretty silly, but the other thing I thought was a Furman has a bit where it involves some time travel in the storyline, and she gets a letter from herself from December of 2020, and mm-hmm. talking about the result. And I'm like, there's something else she should have put in that letter from December <laughs> 2020 <laughs> that I would have preferred. It's just funny because Furman. The long discredited, you guys know about the Transformer comic that predicts 9-11 conspiracy theory. He wrote that comic, too. So it was just a funny little, like, Furman laying the seeds of other predictive powers or whatever. But, yeah, just made me jump out to me now. I like when you see dates and it's like, well, that date passed, but back then it was far in the future. Issues 31 through 33 involve the hill monster Sprague from Journey into Mystery number 68. And Mole Man agrees to help her for a price if She-Hulk will be his wife. (laughs) And She-Hulk is, like you were saying, Andrew, she's like talking directly to the reader now much more, not just to the creators that are handling the book. And commenting on a lot of the artwork, as you were saying, the style, whether it would, you know, like naming Jim Lee and some of the other gags. And like you said about the glam, it's the book is really fashiony when Byrne returns now, too. There's like a and not just fashiony, but like she gets into the architecture of the apartment and the office and. There's a gag with the editor saying like, hey, is this like Architecture Digest or a comic book here or whatever? And I'm thinking it's kind of like a Millie the Model-esque vibe how the spirit of those comics could be captured in a modern comic. The, The glam poses, the fashions and the settings and stuff. Yeah, she doesn't have, uh, again, no regular outfit. So her regular style of clothes are super stylish. She wears different 
hero style outfits or theme to the adventure if it's a space thing. Yeah, I really like how he went crazy with the design elements foregoing the white slip torn up look. Like I like that she's very modern. And I got the same vibe. I didn't know if it was some joke that they slipped in that I missed, but I was like, yeah, I totally felt that. Because back then, what I loved is they would take submissions from readers and people would send in like fashion and right, hair right. suggestions and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the She-Hulk sometimes answered letters in the letters pages, which is also a very Patsy Walker, Millie the Model type thing, right? Wheezy the Blonde Phantom gets rejuvenated in issue 33 and gets not all the way young, but younger and slimmer. And issue 34 has the Demi Moore pregnancy cover parody, but she's holding She-Hulk holding a green beach ball in front of her belly. Yeah, this has become a famous cover at this point. That issue and the following issue 35 have her facing off against the Black Talon and his zombies where she's again controlled, this time via a necklace. Issue 36 was what I thought a fantastic Christmas issue where the She-Hulk and Wheezy are visiting Wyatt Wingfoot and She-Hulk and Wyatt rekindle their romance. Jen even pokes fun at the ceremony story that they got your family history all wrong and that the powers that be thought it would be too confusing if we got back together, hinting at the conflict of John Byrne wanting to get her and Wyatt back together and the powers that be at the time saying, Hey, we just had this ceremony thing where they didn't get married and parted as friends. So there you go. Jen also visits her dad. And it's funny cause he falls for wheezy, right? Cause she's like an older soul in a younger body. And we get to see like how things turned out for the people from that first series, her dad and that things worked out great for Zapper and even Richard Rory. Issue 37 is versus the living eraser. Who's an alien from like an interdimensional alien and his King wants her as a queen. And burn uses the gag. Of course they get rubbed out. Right. And there's four totally blank white pages before the She-Hulk comes tearing through the center of the page like the Kool-Aid dude breaking through the wall. Oh, yeah. And Jen immediately references Alpha Flight that like, come on, Burn, you used this gag then and nobody liked it then and nobody's going to like it now, you know? <laughs> In issues 38 and 39, Burn takes over the inking. So she starts getting the Zipatone treatment that he was doing at the time. In these issues, She-Hulk's date with Wyatt Wingfoot is interrupted by Machismo, an interdimensional barbarian warlord type who, you guessed it, is hopelessly in love with the She-Hulk. He wants her as his bride, kidnaps her to his dimension and all that, and the Thing from the Fantastic Four ends up helping Wyatt with a rescue. Issues 40 to 42 as the She-Hulk returning to space and teaming up with the US-1 dudes again, dealing with literal fallout from the Sprague caper in 31 to 33. 
uh, get them so much fun comic booking in these issues is kind of why I'm having to touch upon so many of these moments in issue 43 in the summer of 92 burn opens with four pages that exactly mimic Rob Liefeld's opening four pages from X-Force number three. That's that was published. And this is the year later that was published in 91. This is in 92. <laughs> and they end the sequence with, editor Bobby Chase stepping in and scolding Byrne for a page, like all tisk tisk. The She-Hulk and Wheezy stay in space through issue 46, traveling with the US-1 dude and dealing with Zenu again. Zimu. And the Skrulls. And they rescue Razorback and Rocket Raccoon in issues 44 to 46. I sort of remember that Rocket was showing up in these issues. Like, Remember they had those like Marvel uh, requirer type of preview. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if I wasn't reading a book, like you could sort of piece together certain things from other books. Weird where he was, you know, part of that his limited the Mantlo thing where he's from that whole planet or whatever, and then sometime. Marvel Cosmic sort of shifted it around or whatever. I always got a little... We might need a deep dive on Rockets, kind of how they sort of... Not really retconned it out, but don't have that limited series in the spirit, I feel, anymore. I don't know yeah. if that got out during the, you know, Annihilus and all that stuff, or when that went away. Well, that was, like, probably the pitch of annihilation right like we'll take all these characters and use them in new ways and have them be you know because thanos wasn't very thanosy and they changed the silver surfer they changed nova they changed star lord they <laughs> changed uh, um you know what i mean everybody i mean even the hair colors yeah at times it's, uh, it's it's funny i kind of thought star lord was a new character right he that, that like that's essentially how low was. profile he was he essentially was Issues 48 and 49 of Sensational She-Hulk have the body-swapped duo returning to Earth, where Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four help restore them to their bodies, but not right away or anything. And during that time, the She-Hulk has to face Titana. That's probably, I would say, her number one regular villain. Yeah. She has a, a strange rogues gallery, so that she doesn't have the more... Com For a character with as much as she's had... That's kind of it in my mind of who I associate her number one. Not that she hasn't fought people multiple times, but it is weird she doesn't have that. I also love when you look at these in quick succession. I, I mean, I obviously didn't read every single one, but it's funny how the themes of like, well, if you need something, have her have trouble with her powers. That's like yes. an yeah, 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 yeah. gag that they do a lot in this one. The old, uh, well, she can't, con she switches back or loses power or can't control or body swap. Just a, sure. a, a fun classic trope. Issue 50 at the beginning of 1993 is Burns' big finale with a green foil glam cover that really stands out. I really, I hadn't read this before. I really liked it. I was trying yes. hard to guess it. He, they mimic some different styles in it. Yes. And I did okay. I mean, some of them I got and some I missed. So I felt pretty good about myself, but just really fun. And I like at the end, they he mentions the names. So, you know, oh, that's who I missed. I mean, some like the Frank Miller, like, 
obviously I'm going to get that. That's pretty distinctive at that time. And the Walt Simonson, too. But I blew the Dave Gibbons. I feel so dumb. Like, oh, Watchmen and all that. Well, the deal is Byrne is dead. Hmm. And the She-Hulk and editor Bobby Chase have to figure out who's going to take over the book now. And that includes these sample tryouts from a few of their short list. We get to see these pages from Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, Howard Schenken, Dave Gibbons, and Wendy Peeney. I got the Howard Schenken. I just, I guess I didn't get the black and white, what the significance of that, but he has a very distinctive style. That, that one I did, but I didn't know if there was some significance to having it be in black and white. There's also a 10-page tryout tale by writer Michael Urie, who went on to work for Tomorrow's Publishing and has been the editor of their successful Back Issue magazine since it started. Urie would return to write issues 52 to 57, with Pat Oliff providing art on 54 to 57, and the final issue 60 at the end of 93, which featured a Pat Oliff cover that parodied Burns issue number one with the She-Hulk standing there with the comic in her hand addressing the reader. Yeah, I totally recommend jumping on the Unlimited if you don't have this issue, if you have access and reading it. The other thing I love about the Unlimited is nothing after 50 in this series. Mm -hmm. Wait, Burns done? Oh, we don't need to upload those. We're good. I mean, that's no offense meant to them, but it just was like... Wait, does it end at 50? You know, the way you look at it, it seems like, oh, that's a, you know, uh, a naturally ending point of an, a series. But no, those other 10 issues, they just don't reference. <laughs> well, they have to at mm-hmm. least put 59 up because I'm in there. The Beatles in there. Jack-o'-lantern, Taskmaster, like, you know, Boomerang. In 1995... The She-Hulk would appear in Fantastic Force issues 12 to 18 of 18. And the Fantastic Force was like a teenage Franklin who's the Psy Lord and a team of Fantastic Force supporting characters that were assembled by the Black Panther, written by Tom Brevoort and Mike Kantorovich, with art by Dante Bastioni and Pino Rinaldi. In issue 12, Wyatt Wingfoot visits Jen in New York City because they're still friends after Ceremony 2, right? <laughs> no, they've had the re- the romance in the burn book. They He fixed it. And while she's out walking in New York with him, she gives a dollar to a homeless guy, but the homeless guy is Diablo. And he uses it to whip up some mystical mumbo-jumbo and controls her. In issue 13, Wyatt comes to the Fantastic Force saying Jen is acting weird, stealing artifacts from the museum and stuff. And they go bust down the puppet master's door and shake him up, but nope, he's he's on the up and up, and they just... The wrong target. Also, the cover of 13 is a cover homage to her first issue of in the Fantastic Four that celebrated her arrival in issue 265 of Everyone looking shocked as you're looking over the back of the top of She-Hulk's hair. In issue 17, the team moves into her apartment as a temporary base of operations. And they're attacked psychically. 
at one point Jen saying she sees past the fourth wall in a kind of a nod to her abilities in the sensational series. And then in issue 18, she betrays the team and attacks them on behalf of Diablo. At the end, leaving the group and going to work for Doc Sampson. Boy, Andy's ignorance of mid to late 90s Marvels continue. Not a series <laughs> I was familiar with, Steve. <laughs> this fantastic force. That's okay. We're done with it. We're, we've moved on. Because in the same year, in 95, there's a Doc Samson limited series. Four issues written by Dan Slott Whoa. with art, art by a young Ken Lashley. The She-Hulk helps Doc Samson hunt down a gamma irritated serial killer called Patchwork. And in the second issue, Patchwork steals the She-Hulk's gamma power and leaves her injured as Jen. But in the last issue, she gets angry and transforms into the She-Hulk again and fully heals. But Dan Slott, it's first time writing the character. That's part of Marvel Edge, funny enough. Right. Fox Samson always seemed a little silly to me <laughs> i think they played that up as somewhat at times i know he joined the hulk busters or whatever but that run in the 80s went i don't know he just always seemed like a goofy pop psychology 101 if they needed some real thin motivation or whatever he would be the guy they would dial up to say he's jealous of whatever what i don't know i don't i guess i don't like the quick psychological diagnosis character you didn't Fabio like that factory issue the hair though <laughs> he has great hair well i mean green hair is cool i'm not gonna say that but i don't know he always felt like he was just kind of a writer's cheat if they want some psychological motivation to be played out or whatever like get in there doc roll up your sleeves hit some guys in 1997, the She-Hulk joins the Heroes for Hire title in issue 7, written by John Ostrander with art by Pascal Ferry and Jamie Mendoza, working alongside Luke Cage, Iron Fist, the White Tiger, Black Knight, the original Human Torch. But she only agrees to join on as legal counsel. She keeps declining to help as the She-Hulk, but... When she next appears in issue 12, she's like on the away team and for good at that point. They need some help at that point. In issue Do you think four... Ostrander got profiled for doing those like villain type edgy <laughs> heroes? It seems like he's in that group, you know, from his work for the Distinguished Competition. In issue 14, in a scene that leaves Luke and Danny... Luke Cage and the Iron Fist shrugging their shoulders, a frustrated She-Hulk turns to the reader and fires the narrator of the comic, breaking the fourth wall. Just fires him. I mean, that's something you can do, I guess. In issue 17, Luke and She-Hulk butt heads, and Luke beats her in a competition that they set up, winning a date. If he had lost, he would have had to leave the team. So, good thing he won. And over <laughs> over dinner, he tells her his sob story, right, from the streets and all that business. Wins are over, and then they fight Titana and the Absorbing Man, and the night ends with She-Hulk and Luke kissing. 
I always picture him as like a big guy, but I did like that the art made her like tower over Luke Cage, which you don't see a lot of, you know? That yeah. was a kind of a funny visual. She-Hulk quits the group, along with a few other members of the team, two issues later when Stark Fujikawa buys out Oracle, who's the company that was running Heroes for Hire, that Byrne created way back in the Namor solo series. And as soon as She-Hulk leaves the building, the fired narrator returns, much to his delight. Uh-huh. <laughs> Over the next few years, She-Hulk would pop up here and there. She rejoined the Avengers in 2000 for the last chunk of the Kurt Busiek, George Perez run in issues 27 to 34. Helped out during some big arcs versus Kulan Gath and then Count Nefaria. Then in May of 2002, the Thing She-Hulk Long Night one shot hit the stands where they teamed up in the subway of New York city overnight with a dragon man being hunted and a horde of vampire things on the prowl and everything. It's crazy written by Todd DeZago with art by Brian Hitch and Paul Neary. And then there's a second story, 13 pages by Ivan Reese, and Randy Emberlin. When the Avengers were recognized by the United Nations as a sanctioned team during writer Jeff Johns' run, She-Hulk again became a more prominent member, and during the 2003 Red Zone arc versus the Red Skull, in issues 67 and 68 of the, I guess it would be the third Avengers series, right, the Heroes Return one, her protective suit is breached and her teammate, the Jack of Hearts, accidentally absorbs her gamma radiation, causing her to change back into Jen. And then she's like messed up. And when she does become the She-Hulk again, she's like a savage Hulk smash version when she gets stressed. On the long night one, the hitch, how different it was. You know, it's been some time, but how Hitch's artwork look different from the earlier She-Hulk. Oh, yeah. Very. I wouldn't even know it was the same cat, you know? Yeah, he really got the Paul Neary vibe going more when his style developed. And I thought it was fun, too, as a nod back to recognizing her being part of the Fantastic Four family, right? The follow-up arc to the Red Zone situation is in Avengers 72 to 76 which is the search for She-Hulk by Jeff Johns and Scott Collins where Jen is on the run like town to town Bruce Banner style until the Avengers track her down and find her and she becomes the savage She-Hulk and fights them and even the Hulk Hulk but the Jack of Hearts is able to return her gamma and restore Jen Hulk once again in issue 76. Yay! When the Avengers title returned to its legacy numbering, She-Hulk was there for issues 500 and 501 in 2004 as writer Brian Bendis and penciler David Finch disassembled the Avengers 
the She-Hulk went full-on savage again in 500, tearing the vision in half, and then had to be taken down in issue 501. Yeah, you Not don't like really this. in those issues. Not like this. Thankfully, though, that same year in 2004, the She-Hulk would receive her third regular ongoing series, this time from creative team writer Dan Slott and penciler Juan Bobillo. Yeah, I was online by this point, so I didn't read the first six. I just remember ordering the trade paperback, and then <laughs> I'm like, well, I might as well just jump on the regular series with issues. In this series, Jen feels guilty about the destruction that she caused in the whole red shift thing when she was savage and, and disassembled when she was savage. So she takes on a new lawyer job, but as Jen, they want Jen. And the firm is Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway. Yeah. <laughs> and this is after drowning her guilt and drinking some self-destruction by like sleeping around with male models that ends up resulting in a Avengers intervention and then kicking her out of the Avengers mansion. So she really does need a makeover from top to bottom. Also the, they take the conceit that we've, that Marvel used to have where the Marvel comics exists in the world and sort of tells the story and brings that back, which was around, but I don't think was we and used probably since the seventies with any regularity. And then that way she can use that in the superhero law as precedent, which I thought was real fun. Like, I don't want this. Like, I like that. It's kind of silly. I think the tone is correct. The second series that she gets, I think the tone started shifting all over the place, but this, I like that. It's kind of fun and silly and, and keeping that tone while still having character development and drama back and forth, but not taking itself too seriously. Yeah, there's a lot of clever bits. Agreed, top to bottom. But before we get into the series, in 2004, the She-Hulk also displayed her lawyering skills and her destructive behavior at the time in Uncanny X-Men 435, written by Chuck Austin with art by Ron Garney and Mark Morales, where she defends in court, but then sleeps with, yes, sleeps with, the Juggernaut. Yikes. Hey, but, nothing can stop the Juggernaut. <laughs> but the slot She-Hulk title would run 12 issues into 2005, where it would quickly be rebooted into a fourth ongoing series, still written by Slot. And on these 12 issues, there's these great, Addy Granov covers that really draw you in without even opening the cover for Pete's sake. She's working at this firm's superhero law division. So she's getting cases like Dr. Strange versus a mystic over like a trademark of a spell, you know, and, and like Andrew said, she's using comic book history in court as precedent, right? Like the Jean Grey precedent for, being thought dead and what happens to your, you know, uh, property and stuff. And there's this side character, Stu, who's in the basement as the historian, and he's got a huge long box collection, and that's what they use for research. Yeah. How about that Very... one where Spider-Man and uh, J. Jonah Jameson are in court? <laughs> right. 
I but, like that they kept it quick too. Like these don't go on and on and like they're it's a little couple pages for a funny bit and a clever idea, but it's not, you know, half the comic book uh, back and forth on the stand like a procedural. What else was important with that Spider-Man J. Jonah Jameson confrontation is that she reunites with John Jameson, who she yes. had met as the man wolf way back in Savage She-Hulk 13 and 14. And they actually end up dating and developing a romance. I married a man wolf. The best thing of this series, though, is the Mad Thinker's awesome android also works for the firm. Andy, yes, they call awesome him, Andy. right? And he's got a chalkboard augmented communication system <laughs> to express how he's feeling, but in very limited ways, right? And issue six is the awesome, awesome android issue with art by Paul Pelletier, where like he's shown to be the perfect employee, right? He like puts in extra time when asked when all he wants to do is watch the Yankee game and relax and does his duty and he never lets this like the system crush his spirit. And before the issue is over, he'd face a test of loyalty to his former master and creator, the mad thinker and end up choosing being like a working class independent dude and at the end of everything, he goes to turn on the game and realizes, like, you know what? I've had a full day, and tomorrow's going to be another big day, and I maybe should just get some rest. And decides to not watch the game and just go to sleep. He's so tired. And it's like, go, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> I like, no, I, I think this first, the first 12 issues are really fun and clever. They build a good cast of cute characters and keep it. And then, like I said, that when they reboot, it just, I feel tonally, it starts moving all over the place. I got to touch these issues, though. There are these other fun issues, though, before this one ends, too, that just because they refer to other comics that we grew up liking, right? Like issue seven and eight, She-Hulk has an offer to be a judge in the Living Tribunal's Cosmic Court. Yeah, yeah. And the the champion, the one of the elders of the universe who holds the power gem, is shown to totally annihilating Beta Ray Bill and Gladiator and Adam Warlock in that classic way. Like his jam is he likes to collect, you know, powerful heroes to be competition and and challenge them all right in in the ring. And Jen's offer to be the judge is really a front to face the champion physically and the power gem and she gets whooped but then for the rematch figures out how to like legally argue that the power gem is an outside weapon like it had already been established that the surfer couldn't use his board and bill wasn't allowed to use stormbringer and stuff so without the power gem she totally trashes him. And and this is also the funny angle of she figures if she trains as Jen, then she'll be even more powerful as she Hulk. So like she does the whole Rocky bit of like training as Jen and gets into peak physical, you know, prowess as, as Jen and, and it pays off. 
Yeah, I remember the, there's a coworker that has unrequited love for her that suggested that in the first one about because she's pretty oblivious. She likes to be the She-Hulk instead of Jen. Sure. <laughs> kind of just ignores him about it. And then she comes back to it and uses it. Paul Pelletier returns to take over the art duties in issues 9 to 12, where in issue 9, Hercules is sued by the constrictor for damages to his face after being pummeled. And I mean being pummeled. He gets hit so hard that like the other villains that are with the constrictor... They just stop, and they're like, oh, my God. In the end, Hercules agrees to pay for the constrictor's medical bills, but then causes even more damage by, like, slapping the constrictor on the back and good fun at the end. Issues 10 to 12 have a watcher chronicling the history of Titana and giving her the power gem so that she can fight the She-Hulk and win this time. And the battle is epic. The law offices are destroyed. Stu's comic collection that's used for research is destroyed. Andy has his head knocked clean off. The She-Hulk has to use a comic shop for research on the Infinity Gems. And when it all ends, she's no longer able to change into the She-Hulk. Stuck as Jen, Doc Samson appears and quickly makes a diagnosis, Andy, and says it's a mental block. (laughs) Wah, wah, wah. Eight months later, in the fall of 2005, the She-Hulk Volume 2 began its 38-issue run, with Dan Slott continuing writing chores for the first 21 issues, and then veteran Hulk writer Peter David writing the last 17 issues, from issues 22 to 38, when the series ended in 2009. Yeah, there's the f- some, uh, yeah, it's weird that there's some one shots in there too. So the firm reopens. Holloway is no longer with the firm. Now it's Arthur Zix, who's mysterious. All of their records, all those long boxes, Andy, replaced with trade paperbacks. Oh, no. All those letter columns, gone, Steve. Yeah. Gone. What about the ads? How are they going to make a man out of them? And She-Hulk has to use this gamma changer device to become the She-Hulk because she's still working with Doc Samson on the mental blocks. Issue three is the She-Hulk's 100th solo issue, and it's celebrated with a 100 cover. And she's been arrested and on trial by the Time Variance Authority because she warned... Hawkeye about the not like this, not like this thing. (laughs) (laughs) And all these friends and family testify on her behalf. So it becomes a true like anniversary. Everyone from Sheriff Walters to Howard the Duck comments on her character. There's lots of artists from Bobillo to Pelletier to Mike Vosberg, Amanda Connor, Joe Sinnott, Eric Powell, Sal Buscema, and a bunch of others. It's a cool issue. Issue 5 has the two-gun kid, now stuck in the present, joining the ongoing supporting cast. And then issues 6 and 7 begin this interesting ongoing plot and case involving Star Fox and his persuasive powers being considered date rape 
Yeah. And is he like involuntarily influencing the jury and even his lawyer, the She-Hulk? Yeah, this is the one that didn't work for me. I was glad when the Civil War came. Uh -huh. <laughs> I just felt it was tonally weird and like this kind of let's look at a heavy issue in a silly book always seems like a weird mishmash of tones that I was like, yeah, I don't. Some things I just bury and for I'm a big fan of the that storyline didn't work. Let's just bury it and pretend it didn't happen. I liked when the Civil War tie-in issues came to issues eight and nine, but it was for a different reason. It was because they were drawn by Paul Smith from Uncanny X-Men fame. And in, in these tie-in issues, Jen and John Jameson, who is still her boyfriend, deal with like the legalities of the Superhuman Registration Act. Oh, boy. And then Doctor Strange helps Jen control her changes. And when the issues end, John Jameson proposes to Jen and they run off and get eloped. Ah. Also, as a time um, factor of this is that era where we're just going to kind of titles go, especially these like, no offense, like second tier titles go and then get hijacked by the event of the week sure. and then go back to their story. And then it's just funny to think of that time period where that's what, Hey, you know, once a year or whatever you go right your way into the story. Dang it. Yep. It some books like never a... find their feet. Yeah. After it but happens. You should be involved in some legal cases with the civil war stuff. In issues 10 to 13 with Rick Burkett now penciling the book until the end of slots run. We get some She-Hulk, man-wolf, man-and-wife adventuring. Not that kind of adventuring. But it's also posed that they may have gotten married because of Star Fox's mojo in the room. Not of their own free will. And the whole Star Fox arc concludes with a second trial, this time on Titan, that reveals that he didn't influence her when they hooked up way back during her first stint with the Avengers back in the eighties, but he did influence her and John Jameson's relationship to evolve so quickly. And things don't end well for Star Fox because his brother Thanos shows up and testifies with a story of their childhood that to everyone reading and present at the trial realized that oh my gosh he influenced Thanos to love death so strongly which is an even worse crime and that case concludes the Star Fox arc with issue 13 as a uh, Thanos guy Steve were you <laughs> did that jive well with you <laughs> no I just I but in the tone of a She-Hulk book I thought it was a funny take on the Star Fox thing that out of the frying pan and into the fire with the, as long as we're talking about him influencing relationships and then you look at Thanos, his brother, and the his crazy devotion to, to death, right? I thought that was funny. But also best forgotten, Andrew. Issue 14 is a turning point. It's the awesome Andy issue of this second slot series where the She-Hulk wants to annul her marriage to John Jameson. And Awesome Andy 
accidentally mimicked Star Fox's powers and made one of the girls in the office love him. Once he turned the power off, he gets rejected and it breaks his heart. Ah. Uh. And he uh, kills himself effectively. So. Oh, yeah. he, he it was such needs... a weird tone. Like, this is where, like, and I know you got to reset the status quo or whatever, but it just felt so weirdly like, where where is this? Is this the same book that was cracking jokes and poking a little bit at how funny comic books are and that continuity is this and all that? But the comic books got destroyed. Yeah. And it's the cold trade paperbacks now, Andrew. But when he leaves and, as you said, goes and jumps off a building, you think it's to his death. But I think reflecting the spirit of that other awesome android Andy issue of the previous run, you can't crush awesome Andy's spirit. And he instead sprouts wings and flies off into the sunset. Yeah, but later on we find out he wiped his memory out of the whole thing. Well, he didn't do it. He well, he recounts his tale of having fought Thor with the Mad Thinker, and he mimicked Thor, and I guess mimicked some of his nobility too, and he lifted Molnir at one point, and it was at that yes, moment like that, that he magically became like a free, heroic, noble spirit of his own. And that's when he decided to leave the thinker and it shows that how he started working for the law firm and how they did him right. And at least at the beginning and everything. But Jen gets recruited to shield. There's this four part planet without a Hulk arc that I thought was a weird tone shift myself, Andy it's issues 15 through 18, but it was fun and getting into the shield vibe as Clay Quartermain sends the She-Hulk on missions as their like Hulk agent and you get to see the She-Hulk dealing with like Wolverine and the Windigo and Zax and things you would normally see the Hulk doing. Yeah, it felt like a weird but a fun throwback of like goofy, they're going to do all the goofy spy stuff, kind of have fun with it and show how silly it is. And so I did like the I thought it was a nice shift although strange but a fun like oh yeah all the goofy spy gadgets are always fun the arc ends with a confrontation between her and iron man where he steals her powers leaving her as jen walters issue 19 is the trial of the leader and issue 20 has jen insisting that john jameson sign the annulment despite him really not wanting to he's willing to give up being the star god but she just wants this thing done and the firm's boss that zix guy is revealed to be a rigelian working for these recluse watchers and she has to make a case for the universe in front of him and everything but what's really interesting is that when Zix returns to space and tries to contact the Watchers, they've been slaughtered by this mysterious armored being who starts talking about how no one knows where he is and they can bide their time and get things going to start the Reckoning War. That sounds familiar. And this was back in 2007. 
Yeah. I mean, it, was... it sort of became an ongoing joke. Whenever he would do a new book, we were like, are we going to see the Reckoning War now? And then it's like, oh, I'm not a big enough talent to to do a company-wide event. Fifteen years later, though, when Slot's Fantastic Four run in 2022, we got that Reckoning War, which yeah. is funny. But, Andrew, this is the moment that you referred to where Awesome Andy kind of returns to the Mad Thinker who wipes his memory banks clean. Yeah, I just was like, oh, I Boom. know you got to reset the status. But it was a fu- he was a fun he sure side was. character. And that guy has tons of robots and devices and everything. In Slot's last issue, issue 21, heroes from another universe, Earth A, have been found to be masquerading as heroes here in the 616 who have either died or lost their powers. And they capture a She-Hulk. Jen questions her. And they use this to retcon that it was the She-Hulk of Earth A masquerading as our She-Hulk that slept with the Juggernaut in Uncanny 345. And yet it still (laughs) keeps them coming up. (laughs) The issue ends with Jen deciding to go back to Earth A with the other variants and leave the She-Hulk She-Hulk from Earth A here because this, you know, the world needs a She-Hulk and even tries to go through with it. But at the last minute, Reed Richards cures her. She can become the She-Hulk again. Wait, I thought that was the Canadian multiverse and it was just Earth, eh? (laughs) I was going to make that joke, but... (laughs) Only Kevin can make that joke and have it be all right. Writer Peter David's run began the next issue with issue 22, for the most part joined by pencilers Sean Maul and Val Semeckis. Instead of a lawyer, She-Hulk is now like a bail bond company's bounty hunter, and she's partnered with a female Skrull named Jacinda. Issues 22 and 23 have them encountering the Absorbing Man and Titania, and it's funny because Titan is still really small from having been in the ant farm prison where they made everybody small, but she got broken out, but they didn't know how to change her back. Mm-hmm. So she, she jumps in the She-Hulk's ear and starts punching around inside her head. Yeah, this is the one where I was like the absorbing man and it's done for a twist plot, but like thinks he's going to thinks he snaps Jennifer Walter's neck from behind, like just a real like, OK, so now he just murders people for like in a very like a punisher villain or something like it just seemed like the kind of goofy absorbing man i was used to was like a very more kind of like oh yeah i just murder people because i'm a bad guy and these peter david issues have mike diodato covers that suggest a darker tone overall too yeah they stick out a lot compared to the ones that were done previously in issue 24, we learn that Jacinda the Scroll is actually the daughter of Kylert, the Super Scroll. Whoa. Issue 30 guest stars Hercules during his time when he headlined the Hulk's book as the Incredible Hercules. The, you know, Hercules and the She-Hulk now have a pretty long history. He still pines for her, but she's not interested at all. 
Issues 32 and 33 are a two-part tie-in to the Skrulls' secret invasion. Yeah. The She-Hulk's partner, Jacinda's father, the Super Skrull, arrives and tries to kill her, but the She-Hulk fights him off. In issues 34 to 36, the She-Hulk assembles the Lady Liberators to help a third world country after an earthquake when, like, the political climate prevents others from helping out. And the Lady Liberators are the She-Hulk, Valkyrie, the Invisible Woman, Thundra, and in this case, Jacinda the Skrull. They originally formed to take on the Red Hulk in his book's seventh issue released the same month as this issue in October 2008. And their mission is made difficult for them because they've got to fight the Soviet super soldiers. Which is actually a pretty good bunch of adversaries for this group. Issues 37 and 38 are the two-part heroic proportions arc with pencils by Steve Scott where She-Hulk is welcomed back to the superhero law firm with a new job offer. And the man-elephant, Kevin, from way back in Savage She-Hulk 17, reappears and thinks he's beating the snot out of the She-Hulk, but it's only Jacinda the Skrull. Yeah. But he's beating the snot out of her. And afterwards, she gets taken capture by the government, and she's going to be experimented on and everything. It's pretty dark. Yeah. What a crazy redesign of the man elephant, too, making him yeah. much more less like a He-Man doll and more like a scary bad guy. The man elephant. And it gets a new name, right? The Behemoth. She-Hulk mounts a rescue with the help of the Lady Liberators. But this, and knowingly harboring a Skrull, and that whole international incident with the Soviets has ruined her legal career for good. And the issue and the series ends with the heads of fourth wall enterprises meeting in the shadows to declare that the She-Hulk project is a bust and that it should be scrapped immediately and that they're disappointed that the project has ended prematurely. One guy says to the other, well, this is a kick in the privates. Courage, my friend. We of Fourth Wall Enterprises may be battered because of this, but Fourth Wall will not be broken. (laughs) Books canceled. At that same time in 2008 are the two one-shots that you mentioned, Kevin. There's She-Hulk Cosmic Collision, written by Peter David, with art by Mahmoud Azrar and Scott Mahana. And that really just carries right over from what was going on in Peter David's run here. It's She-Hulk and Jacinda the Skrull, and they're still working as the Bale Bounty Hunters, collecting perps on a lamb and all that. And this ish has their impromptu team, the Lady Liberators, with Thundra, the Invisible Woman, Storm, and and Valkyrie teaming up with the ladies of the Guardians of the Galaxy... Gomorrah, Philavel, and Mantis to confront this female Savage Hulk type being. That one was fun, I thought, because it expanded the whole, like, Lady Liberators to cosmic characters. So it was like, you know, 
Lady Liberator's Infinity. <laughs> <laughs> and beyond. Well, the other one shot in 2008 was the Hulk family, which had a collection of different Hulk character stories and a 16-page She-Hulk story by Fred Van Lenty with art by Scott Clark and Greg Adams where the She-Hulk and a Joe Fixit Gray Hulk deal with some brute named Tantrum in Vegas. Wait, that Tantrum? <laughs> I like how it was also like, oh, I'm not the... Is this the one where she was, where he was like, I'm not that Hulk, I'm Joe fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not the Hulk you remember. The, uh, next... the Joe fix it. The less the depowered Hulk. The next couple of years saw the She Hulk really further integrated into the the whole Hulk family role in 2009 and 2010 because she's part of this supporting cast of really what's an expanding, mega expanding Hulk world that's helmed by Greg Pak and later Jeff Loeb in the Red Hulk book that includes the whole fall of the Hulks thing that involved the leader and his intelligentsia of villains and all that. Yeah, that's good stuff. I don't want to get off course because it's the Jennifer Walters She-Hulk character we're chronicling here, but some of those stories produced two other She-Hulks, the Red She-Hulk, who was Betty Ross Banner, and Lyra who was an interdimensional daughter of the Hulk and Thundra. Yeah, that there was like a fun, let's all have a crap ton of Hulks. <laughs> and yep. A-Bomb, remember that character? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Well, that was, wasn't that around the same time they had the cartoon with all the Hulks, too? Oh, you're right. I well, they did that, that after, cartoon. yeah. Okay. Yep. And Boy, maybe... Brett Jones has really done a lot, hasn't he? He's done everything. Both of those other She-Hulks, you know, they enjoyed their 15 minutes, and there were some fun stories involving each of them, no question. One prominent one worth mentioning, though, was the four-issue She-Hulks, plural, limited series in 2010 from Harrison Wilcox and Ryan Stegman with with uh, Ed McGinnis covers that were pretty nice, with the She-Hulk and the Lyra Savage She-Hulk being agents of the Hulk who kind of like sets them up and sends them on missions hunting down the remaining intelligentsia at large like the wizard and the trapster and the red ghost I like that the first issue which you can find on the unlimited has a a 2010 Ohatmu entry for yeah and it's just fun because it's like eight pages of just the most breathless prose of like <laughs> event event, event <laughs> like summing like her origin for two per and then this and then that happened and then that and then and you realize at some point like even though the character's you know 30 years old there's a lot that went on when you try and craft a narrative around it that made me laugh and they have like the trading card power levels when you're like you know i think she's smarter than they give her credit for. She should be an eight, not a seven. Yeah. And then, so really she's a better fighter than she is smart. Like that doesn't seem right. (laughs) In this She-Hulk series, the She-Hulk rekindles her romance with Wyatt Wingfoot again too. 2010 was also the 30th anniversary of her first appearance 
and a 30th anniversary one-shot was published, She-Hulk Sensational, with a Gary Frank cover, two features, and a reprint. The first feature was an 18-pager by Peter David and John Boy Myers, which was a spin on A Christmas Carol, with Stan Lee acting as Marley, and the three ghosts visiting the She-Hulk are like her original self from the first series in the white ripped slip, her lawyer self, and then I thought this was funny, the Mistro, which was a future evil maestro version of She-Hulk. You know, it is Peter David, though, so it's legit, right? I enjoyed it, but I really, my while I think it's a fun and pretty book all around, I really thought the Stan Lee likeness was the only one that really had me scratching my I mean they say who he is so that's how I know but the rest of it you know very cool and fun action and pretty and everything but that one I was like wait a second that's Stan Lee I like the other Stan Lee I like the other story better though that was a 32 page ladies night story written by Brian Reed with art by Ivan Coelho with the She-Hulk Ms. Marvel and Spider-Woman who doesn't enjoy a ladies night story you know always end up being fun i also appreciate that they included the reprint of uh she hulk 40 from the burn i guess we're calling it the burn run or volume two because i know sometimes on these marvel unlimited things sometimes they don't always include what's just a straight up reprint you mm-hmm. know because you could go look that and the right pull up the book itself I thought it was an interesting choice of like, wonder why they picked that one in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought they might pick like a one of the Christmas ones, or you know what I mean, as seemed a more interesting one. But I guess they had their reasons. Next up in two thousand and twelve and thirteen, the She Hulk would star in the FF of the second series entitled FF. It's the Future Foundation, Fantastic Four. In this case, it was the Antastic Four, right? Written by mm-hmm. Matt Fraction with art by the Allreds. And there were 16 issues. It was, the setup was like, because the Fantastic Four were off-world, so the Ant-Man assembled a team that included She-Hulk, Medusa, uh, a chicken, the old thing, exoskeleton suit. It was fun. There, were, there was this... In issue four, this the date issue of her and Wyatt Wingfoot that keeps getting sabotaged by the Moloids that worship her as the Gen. But they're still able to, uh, like everything that they do to try to pry them apart actually brings them closer together. And in the final issue of the series, in the aftermath of the Ant-Man's personal vendetta against Doom that the whole series revolved around... The Fantastic Four return, and the Moloids give up their worship of the Gen and turn to the Ben. <laughs> I uh, this will become an underrated series. I know it's a little off. Well, the All Reds make it already all it, right with me with the All Reds. Ditto. So, I, I really have appreciated that. I guess I'm we're putting it on Hickman, like that expanded FF. Where they have, you know, Dragon Man and all the different kids yep. hanging out. And, like, it it really is a cool little thing they built that they revisit from time to time. And I'm like, you know, that's a fun expanded cast. 
that I think doesn't get its due. Maybe you don't like how one group handled it or whatever, but I think it's fun that that's now a thing. Like that some of those characters have had their own team books and spinoffs and stuff. I'm like, what a nice, it's fun when they can build something and it kind of takes, you know, and we're, we're a, a decade in and it's still telling stories with them. That used to be the role of the Fantastic Four book, right? Introduce new characters and concepts and then they'd spread out into the rest of the Marvel universe. In 2014 to 15, the She-Hulk would get her fifth ongoing series, entitled She-Hulk, written by Charles Soule, with art by Brian Polito, who, real, I mean, he had neat layouts, like Darwin Cook, J-Bone type lines and compositions, but he always, like, it got to me, he made the She-Hulk's face way too wide, and yeah. like not deep enough to like hold a brain in, in the size of her skull with the like diverged eyes and everything. And the outfit had a S on her chest and an H like on her pelvis, which was, it was pretty weird visually in that respect. But there was really striking Kevin Wada covers on the series. Lasted 12 issues. In the first issue, she quits the law firm and gets a private job still doing some lawyering to help the widow of the machine smith, a villain who the She-Hulk learns Stark took his patent. So he's the widow is entitled to some compensation. And, you know, She-Hulk knows Tony Stark, so she'll happily go talk to him and straighten it out, but she can't. She can't reach him. She like there's all these pitfalls and blocks between her and actually being able to talk to Stark because now she's in the lawyer corporate world. So she has to deal with legal instead, you know, the legal department. And but she ends up beating them legally and physically and finally making it to Stark, who is totally reasonable. Oh, that's where that came from. Uh, Cuts her a check. Great issue, though. Uh, My beef with this is i feel like soul goes way into the legal stuff too much yep and he kind of misses look i'm no lawyer but some of the stuff i don't get (laughs) and i would use different terminology for certain uh procedures but who wants to get into like that's what i liked about the earlier run when it was just for a silly point yeah or like i did like her fighting the robots or whatever that was cool and I know I've griped about this before, but why is Marvel turning these into weird unlimited comics? Do you guys ever click on those? Like, it's like exclusive Charles Soul, She-Hulk. And then it's just, they take these issue, issues and turn them into those scrolling books, but they don't, like, it doesn't fit sometimes. You know, they're they're paged out differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you talk about yeah. the layouts and everything. It's just... So, because I never know that they're not real com, you know what I mean? I think, oh, it's a new <laughs> real, like just the shark or whatever. Like, oh, it's a new one. And I'm like, why are they? No offense to the team, in my mind, kind of doing harm to the work that the art team is doing. Like when know. you're changing the formatting, I guess maybe it's easier on your phone. But some of the beauty are those layouts and how it goes, and to just see it turned into weird panels is a strange yeah 
I think it's weird. I don't. Maybe uh, people must love it because they keep doing it. I just I, don't. I don't know. I'm, I guess they need. They want more. So, and they only have so much original Marvel Unlimited. So then they, they say, oh, people like She-Hulk. Let's let's cut this up. I don't know. I, I well, kind of reminds me of the, of Comicsology when that you know when when they would have that panel view or whatever. Like you're changing the yeah the thing. But I think... some of the panels really threw me, and that's when I realized because it fools me every time. Because I'm always like, oh, I'd want to read a new She-Hulk. <laughs> well, I think it could be as simple as like they have this format that that is you know face front when you go to the Marvel Unlimited page, and they someone said somewhere, hey, we need a She-Hulk one of these. You know, she's yeah, got a show. It just seemed, it's just weird that like someone had to go through and make those weird yeah. decisions oh, yeah. about where to cut them and spend time and energy. And I'm like, like the motion comics. Yeah. <laughs> We're bringing those back. <laughs> Marvel AR. All right. But this She-Hulk series was, it did have its charm despite some of the overemphasis of some of the actual legal cases. The second issue was a ladies night out, but it's She-Hulk and a drunk Hellcat and they raid mm-hmm. an aim cell. And at the end, Jen hires Patsy as an investigator. This was fun. Issues three and four, the case at hand is Christoph Doom wants asylum from Latveria. Oh, no. And then the next few issues involve this ongoing mysterious blue case subplot where the She-Hulk doesn't remember being served, but she's a defendant. And her investigation leads to all this reality warping stuff, so she has to back off. But the whole caper involves Tigra, the Shocker, Wyatt Wingfoot, and others. Something weird going on there. And can I say, cheese and crackers, I love having Patsy as her superhero buddy. Totally. Like, that's a great parent, like a, one you wouldn't think. I mean, I know she appeared in that first volume, but you wouldn't think their power sets or whatever. But just such a fun... Like, it's cool to use those two characters together. I'm a big fan. I'm glad they keep doing that in these different volumes from here on out. It's like Power Man and Iron Fist as far as their, (laughs) you know, needing power and stuff. But it's the opposite where the powerful one is the more responsible one. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, which is clever. It, It plays out well. Issues 8 to 10 have Jen representing old man Steve Rogers from a decades-old murder rap, and the opposing attorney is Matt Murdock, who Steve wants to prosecute the case as vigorously as he would any other, even though he's the defendant. And it all goes back to the week before Steve Rogers enlisted, back in the 40s, and stuff that happened in the hood, actually involving some hoods. Not the hood, though. No. Then the last two issues, 11 and 12, have Titana and Volcana attack the She-Hulk for having investigated the mysterious blue file. And it turns out that the Night Watch, a short-lived spawn ripoff from the 90s that Marvel had, is behind it all. Mwahaha. The worst reveal ever. Yeah, I, I liked, like it was fun. There were some fun side characters, but this didn't, I don't know, overall, it, 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 there was some promising stuff, but needed work, I would say. Hell, Hellcat, that the dynamic between her and Hellcat was the 
the bright side of the series for sure. Yeah, and I like the crazy paralegal with the monkey. That part was a fun, mm-hmm. crazy side character to add in just for character. You needed more awesome Andy. As that series ended in 2015, She-Hulk appeared in Hulk 16 of 16, which was the Mark Wade Hulk title where the Hulk was curing the Hulk family of Gamma against their will. Except for when he gets to the She-Hulk, who he gives the cure to and has her cure him instead. Because she's the one who's always worn the green well with pride, right? He's like, you're the only one who this whole Gamma thing has actually been a, a, like a blessing to, an asset that you've turned it into something. Pretty cool. What if we did Armor Wars, but with the Hulk, Steve? Totally. Do you think people would buy that? I did. I re- this was a, one of the better Hulk series in the aftermath of the Pac stuff. I, I really liked the the Mark Wade Hulk stuff, and the artists were I, a murderer's row. Oh my oh gosh! Yeah. The, what I like about Hulk and She Hulk is the the team can just decide: do you want smart or dumb or sad? Like all both characters have the full range of yep. however how much power you want them to have and how much brains you want them to have. In 2016, the next year, Shulky helps Amadeus Cho round up monsters appearing around the globe in Totally Awesome Hulk 1-4. And that same year also appeared in A-Force 1-8 of 10, written by Kelly Thompson, where the She-Hulk is critically injured in number 8, which is a Civil War II tie-in, where they encountered Thanos, and she's put into a coma, Civil War Two zero establishes her as a lawyer and everything and showcases her and then in number one she's already injured can I uh, how do we feel about minor spoilers so Andy can have a minor rant <laughs> go for it the totally awesome Hulk 1 to 4 that's the lady hell beast or however you say it they lifted that character in the fin fang foom and all that and dropped it in that guardians game that came out (laughs) and i just was like i don't know how i feel about the game kind of stealing like i know the movies do it all the time but there it's instead of the totally awesome hulk it's the guardians team and she's on another planet and they try you know but it's the whole same character you tying in fin fang foom and all that and and i was like i don't know like shouldn't they make the video game guys like come up with their own junk (laughs) (laughs) and i also liked a Force was a, a reminisce was out of the the Secret Wars event that I really like so much. Right, and I like that they gave them like the one character Singularity is the psycho pirate who remembers the before times and is the impetus for getting psycho that pirate. team together post crisis. And I thought that was cool. Like they found this thing they like, and so they're gonna cheat. Oh come on! Everyone knows I can steal from DC, right? Like it's we know the reference. Like that's who Singularity is. She's a psycho pirate. She yep. remembers, so she puts the team together. And I thought that what a fun! Like you found this cool thing in Secret Wars, which was like a one-off. Like everything's changed and nothing's the same, and it's Crisis on Infinite Marvels. So I thought it was cool. Like hey, if you find something you like, use it. But I didn't like that in all the all the take on the Civil War two stuff, you don't really get to see the big battle. There's like no. three panels. I know. And the one 
death panel in a force it looks like he punches the ground next to her all right dude i i between it with the jumping around between these two series i looked at so many different comics trying to find well where's the actual battle and it's more like it just happens it was really weird but anyway with jen in this coma and and injured from the ashes of that experience comes a new Hulk series, 11 issues in 2016 into 2017, written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Nico Leon. Because Bruce Banner, the Hulk, is dead from Hawkeye's arrow, it's not a She-Hulk book. It's the only Hulk book, even though so it's a She-Hulk book, but it's just Hulk. And... This book is a real slow burn. Like, it's just Jen holding it together for a few issues. Although Hellcat returns, which is fun. But she doesn't even She-Hulk out until issue six. And when she does, she's gray with all of these, like, glowing gamma lesions all over her body. But she's still Jen, personality-wise. And because of how she is as this... She-Hulk, she's happy to stay and be mostly Jen, which is a real departure for how she's been most of her adult life. The second arc of the book also has her rarely hulking out, but it brings in Hellcat to find this cooking podcast host-turned-monster via these drugs and stuff, but it has this whole rooming with Hellcat angle, and she goes on a date, but it's a trap because it's like a room full of killer robots and everything. I don't know. There, what, this was a low point other than the Hellcat for me. I remember, I think, trying number one. Yeah. And same. you're right. This did not. I thought it worked great reading it just on the digital, reading all the 10 issues right after each other but what's weird is they want to have a very serious story about like post-traumatic stress and all that and it just seemed like a the character the things we like about she-hulk yes to do that to that character was right was a like it was a powerful story but maybe not the right choice of character and certainly i can't imagine a month-to-month read on that but as i i would say it's just sit on the unlimited and rip through them. The other thing that was super weird for me was when they got to 11, they totally shifted the tone and had fourth wall breaking and all this stuff. And it felt like a completely different book. I mean, there was the continuity of the uh, appearances and everything and the cast and all, but I was like, wait, we went from this very dark, heavy story and not just her story, but the people around her, like there's a tragic figure who comes to a tragic end. Like everything is just depressing upon depressing. Like I said, well done, but a weird character to choose. And then suddenly, I don't know if someone got a memo or something, but they were like, no, no, go back to the fun fourth wall, goofy. She's on a date stuff. And I'm like, uh, and I was like, wow, this is a weird, weird read for a whiplash thing well yeah those first 10 just pretend it's not she hulk and just enjoy kind of this grim dark um ultimate she hulk or whatever if you will and the series got an extra arc of five issues jen walters must die 
during the rest of 2017 into 2018 with this She-Hulk book changing to its Marvel Legacy numbering. So it was She-Hulk number 159 to 163 with Mike Diodato covers that were great, but again, writer Mariko Tamaki now with uh, Janoi Lindsay on art. And this is a strange arc where the leader looking not red, not dead, and not with a lumpy head, without any explanation, talks a female scientist into kidnapping Jen and stealing some of her hulkness, and then they fight, and Jen, of course, wins, and Jen goes to therapy, takes acid, and has a big trip, and then at the end is able to turn green again and be the regular old She-Hulk that we know and love. Really weird. Really, again, then it shifts. It's a pretty dark tone as well. And, <laughs> and then she takes and, acid. <laughs> and uh, Wait, what? <laughs> just super, like the leader turns into this real creepy, like, you know, manipulative purple man style. Yes. Like not his, I, I don't know. I, I just felt it was, I know these comics, it's popular to get things really dark and ugly and stuff, but not always, I feel like, certain characters work better for that Punisher or whatever who kind of dwell in those realms. I don't like it necessarily for She-Hulk or Spider-Man. And you can do some of it. You just, I don't know, for me it's about treading carefully and not like how far can we push these characters to make them crazy and have them do the most depraved things or whatever. But people must love their long boxes where they have these things like random series wedge in and then suddenly five issues with like different numbering (laughs) (laughs) it works out great right guys you guys all love this oh yeah it's just how you want it (laughs) it's even easier to find digitally when it's like that (laughs) even worse to organize then being she-hulk again in 2018 she rejoined the avengers in the current jason aaron series with issue two with Jen Walters living her life, like keeping the She-Hulk suppressed because she becomes like a hostile Hulk smash, overly muscular (laughs) green She-Hulk. Then in 2019, She-Hulk gets an annual one-shot issue written by Alexandra Petrie with art by Andy McDonald as part of the Acts of Evil of these uh, annuals in 2019 that were a call back to the old acts of vengeance. And in this issue, the machine Smith whose widow she helped in that other series puts bullseye's mind in she Hulk's body. And then she's in a robot and she of course wants her body back. And it's just really weird, really weird. In it this... was, but it was kind of fun to give her an annual, you know, to yeah. have her, you know, she, with all these series, she needs a few annuals, Steve. In the summer of 2020, the line-wide event Empire have the invading Kotati kill the She-Hulk dead and replace her with a plant people dupe. And she's revealed to have been killed and replaced in issue number four of Empire, and she's restored in issue six. Then also in 2020, the She-Hulk gets the Immortal She-Hulk treatment with a one-shot from Immortal writer Al Ewing and art by John Davis Hunt. This one's horror-oriented with the whole 
green door below and all that. The Neanderthal talk as the Hulk and normal as Jen version of Hulk is talking to Wolverine and everything and it retcons the Thanos injury coma into a death that she like went down below and escaped through the green door from Banner's father and then from the leader and all that. It's it's pretty dark but pretty engaging. It's 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 a heck of a read. All right, Steve, I need you and Kevin to sell me on the Empire event. I skipped it completely. And I want you guys oh to convince me that I need to read it all and get into uh, it. Uh, it's not as good as you want it to be. Yeah, this, uh, this podcast Kevin, I don't is think long you understand enough. how convincing me is. <laughs> this this, this uh, podcast okay, is long enough as it is. It, it's Dan Slott. Remember how good he was on The Thing and Spider-Man and uh, Al Ewing? You know how good he's in on Mortal Hulk. There's no way... This can't be the greatest cosmic story of all time because look at all the lead up. There's some How's that be- for selling you on it. There's some beats in it that are all right, and there's some aspects of you know if you're into the whole Kree Empire and Shi'ar Empire when they do big cosmic stuff and the scrolls and all that. It it's interesting in bringing some of that stuff um, forward to wherever they want it to be. Um, yeah, I mean, know. the end result is is, is fine. I, I, just, I would just rather read, like, the Celestial Madonna or something. In the current Avengers series that Jason Aaron writes in issues 46 to 50 in 2021, we get the five-part World War She-Hulk arc, where the Winter Guard, formerly the Soviet super soldiers, attack and arrest the She-Hulk who is really struggling to stay smart and not give in to the savageness. They use vampires to weaken her, and then the Red Room conditioning to make her be a Russian agent, the Winter Hulk. This is so weird and over the top. Her mission is to assassinate Namor. But in the end, she is, like, energetic like a gamma bomb, and they siphon off the excess radiation and turn her back into regular She-Hulk and everything. And then, as it ends, she's trying cases as the She-Hulk in court again. And that brings us to these days in the current year of 2022. We're, I think, almost six issues into a new ongoing She-Hulk series, her seventh, I believe. Written by Rainbow Roel, with art from Roger Antoineo and Luca Maresca. And there's stunning glam covers on the series by Jen Bartel, where the color palette and the figure and the fashions all just really jump out at you. And like the cover suggests, Jen is returning to her glam phase roots here, getting the Wasp's penthouse apartment back working again at the superhero firm. Even Awesome Andy is back and been made a partner now, having been rebooted from an earlier memory file. Yay, go Awesome Andy. Yeah, I like that. And she gets her old apartment back yep. through the Wasp. Like, it's a real fun, like, let's pull some of these classic elements and put her together. And much like you can do with her as She-Hulk, 
with her as a lawyer, she can either be high-powered attorney or on-the-skids attorney in this case, on-the-skids, working for Book again, Mallory Book, her rival at the firm. And, yeah, it seems like it's a fun setup. I'm only a few issues in, so maybe it doesn't pay off or whatever. But, you know, it's fun. I'm not... The character they bring back is one I don't have much of a feeling for. So, oh, I you do. Know. I do, although not his more modern use in the last 20 years or so. But the Jack of Hearts shows up, which is a callback to some of her Marvel history, as we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, he, you know, drained her and all that business at the made her gen again, so she was injured in that red skull arc of the avengers but the jack of hearts can't remember how he returned he blew up in avengers disassembled he's no longer draining jen though and no longer really that radioactive and they seem to be developing a romance kind of interesting yeah it seems like it's a complete uh wipe of his a power set and changing that all around in a pretty significant way. But like I said, he was never a character I was Johnny on the spot with. So I know he's played some prominent roles in some pretty big events. So, you know, disassembled and all that. So Andy, as you said earlier, you mentioned a, like, you know, if you have a recurring plot theme that you saw throughout some of these books, and I came across three that seem like they're the regular, things that keep coming back to in with the She-Hulk. And, you know, I, it's just a fun exercise that I always seem to do when digesting a lot of some type of pop culture, you know, like you, you watch a bunch of episodes of Three's Company and you realize there's only like three or four plots, right? Like they mishear something that someone said and misunderstand something or like the rent is late to the Ropers or Mr. Furley or... You know, Jack's got two dates, one up in Larry's apartment and one at the Regal Beagle, and he's making dinner for both. Or, you know, th- there's only so many places they went. And the same thing with the She-Hulk. You get the She-Hulk being under someone else's control, right? As- especially when she's in someone else's book, because that's just the deal when you're a Hulk. You're a weapon that someone is wants to aim somewhere. Then you get the bad guy who wants to marry the She-Hulk, which it's just part of being a single female superhero, I think, going back to like when alien warlords wanted to marry Supergirl like every third issue back in the Silver Age, you know? And Jen losing her powers, which goes to the core of her character, because if the Hulk lost his powers, it's the ultimate victory right game over thank god i'm no longer the hulk but to jen it's a tragedy because she's super comfortable in her own skin and as the jack of hearts says in this current series she's the poster child for self-love and awareness how can you not love good old jennifer walters the she hulk has been a real positive character whether it used front of her turning into the hulk to have her be more uninhibited and confident in like a woman's lib kind of a dynamic or just the fact that she's a good egg and has been affiliated with a lot of high-end respectable teams and stuff you know and she's she's just she's one of the the good guys of the marvel universe for sure how can't you got a roofer the she-hulk so you're all ready to do 
the grand design. Marvel contacts you to put all that She-Hulk history together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and then we also have a few episodes now of a Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law live action series with the whole fourth wall being broken and a Zen Hulk and everything, at least in the first episode, which is all I've seen. But it's fun that she's getting her due and getting the attention. Yeah, She-Hulk acts like She-Hulk. I would also throw in, as I mentioned before, the the, uh, control over her She-Hulkness. It's not just losing her powers necessarily, but it's also losing her mind potentially at times. Sure. Yeah. That's another common, like, you can't have a Hulk character without that. Are they in control or is the creature in control storyline that, you know, makes it run all the way through. But I feel like that the, as we talked about too, the Patsy is a great side character, like better than that original one. Yes. Like Zapper and those Guys, right. we're not doing anything for me. <laughs> yeah, but I get, I got, I like the Richard Rory being in there because the thing of him seeing her as a tragic figure, like the man thing, but then also being like attracted to her as Jen was, I thought, kind of funny and Gerber esque, even though it was Kraft who was doing it. Yeah, but like they got in and got out. Like, you know, he was there <laughs> True. for eight issues or whatever and done Hellcat really should be a permanent part of the cast and hopefully will always be considered one of She-Hulk's besties because it really does work alright we did it that's 40 plus years of She-Hulk comics and 7 series and I mean she's been everywhere right thanks Kevin thanks Andrew for joining me doing this one more episode to go then it's episode 400 until it's revealed that Buck Bukowski was behind it all all along make mine marvel later one of us should throw in a later one of these times <laughs> later there you go <laughs> let's all do the later together for episode 400 okay one two three later <laughs> Dr. Banner, Celtic by Dan, the race turns.